You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, tonight we're debating whether or not there is evidence for evolution and we are starting right now with Dr. Wilson's opening statement. Thanks so much for being with us, Dr. Wilson. The floor is all yours. Hey James, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. So uh, yeah, I am. I go by Dr. Wilson on YouTube. I have a PhD in molecular biology, so that's what I'm going to be focusing on in the context of evolution. So uh, to get started here, I'm just going to share my screen. And uh, yeah, I, my expertise is in the world of molecular biology. So that means I work with proteins, DNA and RNA, and all of these things uh, fall under the same principles of evolution as uh, whole organisms. And I want to start on the molecular level by going over just one uh, molecule that's one, one biomolecule that's really near and dear to my heart. And that would be Oh, wait, I need to do the slideshow. That would help. Uh, that would be the ribosome. So in graduate school, I worked on the ribosome, specifically on how the cell builds its ribosome. And I've specifically heard um, Nephilim-free uh, mentioned before that the ribosome is what makes ATP in the cell. And I just had to be honest, that hurt me a little bit because uh, that is not the role of the ribosome. Uh, ATP is generally made in the mitochondria, which is, as chat will know, the powerhouse of the cell. Yes, hooray, cool. Um, but uh, the point that Nephilim usually makes when he brings up uh, a, a giant macromolecule like the ribosome is that it's irreducibly complex. The idea being that you cannot, it's so complex that you cannot reduce it to a simpler model. Therefore, it could not have evolved. But that's not really true. Uh, in fact, when we examine the ribosomes that uh, exist in today's organisms, ranging from more evolutionarily ancient, for example, bacteria, to more evolutionary recent, so for example, humans, we do see that the ribosome has a general decrease in complexity as you go more further back in the evolutionary timeline. This demonstrates uh, two principles uh, when we look at ribosomes in this context. One is that you can, you don't have to have a macromolecule like the ribosome as complex as we see it in humans. It can exist in simpler forms. The other principle that we learn is that there are very many core elements of the ribosome that are conserved from bacteria 
to humans. So these elements are the same despite hundreds of millions of years of evolution. This tells us that uh, life, th this is evidence that life is linked over a long, long time scale. So uh, not only is, and, and this, these principles apply not only to the ribosome, but to lots of different molecular, complicated molecular structures, structures in the uh, molecular world. So, um, but, you know, what are some other examples, right, of things being similar across very large uh, evolutionary time spans from multiple different organisms? Well, another example of this are uh, Hox genes. So Hox genes are genes that exist in most organisms that have a segmented body plan. So organisms like the fruit fly, organisms like you and me, humans. And these genes simply uh, work in a way that plans out the body of the organism, such that if we were to mutate some of them, a fly might grow legs on its head, where instead of growing legs at a different segment in its body. That's how these genes work. But the really interesting thing is that when we compare uh, these Hox genes from ancient, more ancient uh, organisms like uh, the fruit fly to humans, we see that there are a lot of paralogs between humans and uh, Drosophila. And these paralogs are ordered in the exact same order. And they're on uh, generally one chromosome. Each set is on one chromosome and they're ordered in the exact same way. So we have this parallel between fruit flies, for example, and humans that spans hundreds of millions of years of evolution. And uh, this is very strong evidence of, ev of evolution because the model is that these genomes, these genome structure changed over time, picked up new functions, added new information and new mutations, which ultimately gave rise to the rich variety of species that we see today. Uh, another good piece of evidence of evolution when it comes to the genome comparing across species is that between humans and our uh, closely related, uh, closely related um, cousins, chimps, gorilla, and orangutans. And this comes in the form of the fact that chimps, gorillas, and orangutans have uh, one extra set of chromosomes than relative to humans. So in chimps, gorillas, and orangutans, there will be uh, two chromosomes, two, for example, a chromosome 2A, a chromosome 2B. But in humans, we just have a chromosome two. And what happened at uh, some point in our common ancestors history is that these two chromosomes fused. So these genetic fusion events can be characterized and observed to have occurred. And when we look at the rest of the chromosome, we can see that the same genes are located on the same portions of the chromosome. So this either tells us that uh, a creator created things this way or that this is exactly consistent with evolution. 
Uh, another great point that uh, always gets, that always comes to my mind when I think of molecular evolution is, well, how do these molecular changes, how do we know that these molecular changes uh, were really passed down from flies, for example, to humans? Well, we can see in the example of embryogenesis, the development of uh, fetuses, of things like lizards and mammals, that the information for these ancient structures, such as gills, a tail, and so forth, are still contained in our genome as these structures are made and then ultimately turned off as we develop in utero. So this information is in our genomes because we are descended from a long line of uh, common ancestors. And last, what I'll cover for my opening statement is just, I know that uh, Nephilim, for example, uh, likes to bring up this point that genomes can't produce new information. And that's just not true. Uh, there are several mechanisms by which a genome can uh, essentially evolve new information. And this paper here is one such example. Uh, in it, the authors uh, were working with bacteria and they identified this mechanism that they call innovation, amplification, and divergence. Uh, you can read the highlighted sections on screen, but I'll just summarize by saying that essentially what they did was they took a gene from a gene that encodes an enzyme uh, and studied it in the context of a bacteria. They then introduced selection pressures to that environment, to the environment of that uh, bacteria. And they were able to cause this enzyme to adopt a new function that helped it better survive in that environment. This is Again, just one such example that was characterized here. Uh, and what, what the mechanism also explains is that it, the cell accomplishes this by first duplicating that gene. So uh, a common thing that some creationists might say is that mutations are usually deleterious, they're usually harmful, but cells can circumvent that problem if they first are able to duplicate their gene. And then it is that duplicated gene is free to evolve with little consequences because the original version remains functional for the cell. Um, so the authors were able to achieve this evolution within 3000 generations. They confirmed it with uh, sequencing and they were able to, uh, they also describe in the paper some other uh, mechanisms aside from this innovation, amplification, and divergence uh, that exists in humans uh, as well. So um, that's kind of a rundown of what comes to my mind when I think of evidence for evolution in the molecular world. Um, I think that the main crux of this conversation for me is going to be uh, you can examine all of these changes, all these similarities between genomes across organisms that are separated by hundreds of millions of years of evolution. And you can say, 
that a creator created it that way, you can say that it's evidence for evolution. But the difference between the two statements is that only one of those ideas are uh, testable or falsifiable. So for example, if we go back in the evolutionary timeline and along the way we find uh, a, a new ape species that is much more closely related to a lizard than any other known ape, that would be a real problem for evolution to explain. But if... 20 seconds. Right. Uh, but if a creationist saw that evidence, they could still say that a creator created it that way. So it's not falsifiable, it's not testable, and it's not really science, whereas evolution is testable and observable. And I'll stop there. You got to thank you very much, Dr. Wilson, for that opening statement. And want to let you know, folks, if it's your first time here at Modern Day Debate, we are a neutral platform hosting debates on science, religion, and politics. And, folks, if you haven't heard, one sec, Neff, if you want to wait for a moment before. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you had to approve it. Okay, sorry. But want to let you know, folks, we're absolutely thrilled for this monster event that is coming tomorrow night. You don't want to miss it. Matt Dillahunty and Christian apologist and scholar Dr. Kenny Rhodes will be here debating whether or not there is good evidence for God. You don't want to miss it, folks. So if you haven't yet, hit that subscribe button and that notification bell so you don't miss it. And with that, we'll kick it over to Nephilim Free for his opening as well. Thanks, Nephilim Free. The floor is all yours. Thank you. So uh, on a share screen, uh, something, is it sharing? Yep. Okay. All right. So uh, evolution, first off, you have to understand that evolution is a, an ancient myth. It was begun by the Hindu Brahmin, passed on from them to the ancient Egyptians and Babylonians, uh, who passed it on to the ancient Greeks, Phallus of Miletus, uh, Anaximander, Anaximenes, and, and uh, Aristotle spoke of evolution. They had a different idea. They believed that creatures were originally created, but those created kinds evolved very much like what evolutionists say today, uh, with the exception of what Charles Darwin's claim, uh, anti-scientific claim was. Uh, they, Charles Darwin unified the idea that the created kinds uh, created by the gods uh, were actually uh, came from a single ancestor. Uh, so he, he codified the modern theory of evolution by coming up with the idea that all the created kinds actually had a common ancestor and there were no created kinds. But prior to that, so evolution is actually an ancient uh, religious myth. It's a religious myth that is very ancient. It goes back to the earliest history of mankind, almost. Um, now, uh, the, the only evidence that we have for evolution is what somebody sees when they believe evolution. Uh, evolutionists are required to ignore a, a mountain of scientific evidence, and they do so pragmatically and, and, and dogmatically, militaristically. Um, my opponent says, uh, firstly, let me say that 
uh, he spoke about ribosomes. Uh, I did speak, uh, I did misspeak, is what I uh, said, about ribosomes and ATP. I meant to say ATP synthase. That was simply a misspeak. If my opponent had watched uh, uh, quite a number of my videos, he would have heard me speak about ATP synthase producing ATP, not ribosomes. That was just a misspeak. Um, but he spoke about we have uh, evidence that uh, ribosomes going back into the distant past demonstrate evolutionary transition from one type of creature to another. That's that's bogus. We don't have any ancient ribosomes preserved in the fossil record that we can observe. What we have is various types of ribosomes in existing creatures today. And evolutionists make grand assumptions that, well, ribosomes that are different today means they've always changed. See, the change is the assumption. He said, mentioned chromosome two. Uh, chromosome two has been discredited as an evolutionary uh, fusion event. Uh, genes that span the, the fusion site code for polymerase and, 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 uh, uh, and uh, genes that uh, cause specialization of cells that are, uh, relate to uh, almost 200 different types of cells in the human uh, body. So uh, to evolutionists would be required to believe if chromosome two were actual fusion site, that evolution has somehow written over a telomere information that's critical and it produces molecular machinery necessary for the organism to exist, such as helicase and polymerase, because both span the chromosome two site, span it. That means they pass over it. Now that's, that, that, that simply can't be. It's irrational to believe that random mutations wrote the genes that produce helicase and, and polymerase over a telomere. That just doesn't make any sense. It's not sensical. No geneticist would say that's logical. Okay. So he mentions uh, genetic uh, Hox gene similarity. There are tremendous uh, dissimilarities in Hox genes. Maybe my opponent's not aware of the fact that the Hox genes that produce the lobe fins in fish, which allegedly evolved into the uh, legs of lizards or amphibians, are not the same genes. But evolution would have us believe that mutations modified those Hox genes, so that instead of producing lobe fins in fish, now they produce legs. You see, because that's the evolution story. The genes that produced legs produced wings as evolution produced birds, right? See, the same genes preserved, modified by numerous mutations. Now they produce wings instead of legs, right? The same is true for the lobe fin fishes. The lobe the fin fishes, hawk genes allegedly received mutations that transformed them into legs so that the fish walked out on land. But this doesn't work. Why? Because the genes are not the same Hox genes. The Hox genes in a fish that are, are not the same set of genes in the same location in the genome as the genes, Hox genes, in a reptile or an amphibian that produce the legs. And the same is true of birds. The Hox genes in reptiles, evolutionists claim reptiles evolved into birds, that in reptiles are not the same Hox genes in the same location of the genome as those that produce the wings of birds. Now, the evolutionists can argue against this by saying, oh, well, they'll try to fix the problem. Well, mutation moved the Hox genes. Uh-uh, problem. Medical science has documented in the journals hundreds of times that when you translocate a set of genes, 
You've produced deformities that are so severe, the creature is usually stillborn or dies shortly after birth. Or has a terrible deformity or chromosomal disorder that haunts them their entire life. Natural selection would remove such an organism, not promote it. Therefore, that idea doesn't fit evolution. That's bad science. It doesn't work. Now, new information. The evolutionist has this fake belief that mutations happen that duplicate genetic information. And then my opponent says, that mutation, then that duplicated gene is free to be mutated and become uh, new information that comes. See, this is where they, this is called hand-waving. This is where they pass it off. This is where they slide it on their table. It's a, it's a card trick, okay? They'll talk about, well, how do you get the new information? Well, a gene can be duplicated. Rare event, very rare. Okay, according to geneticists, that's very rare. And then they'll say it's free to become mutated, uh, to, to become new information. That's never been observed. That's what's never been observed. Hand sliding. See, look, mutations can happen to duplicate a gene. Therefore, new information, because new mutations have changed that information. That's what's not been observed. They want you to believe that because they can point to the fact that a rare mutation can duplicate a gene in the genome. And it is rare. It's not common. It's very rare. Very rare. That that means, oh, well, I must believe then that subsequent mutations are going to transform that duplicated gene into information that's new and functional and produces new anatomical features. Uh-uh. No. We don't need to, that assumption. That's your assumption. That's not science. That's what you believe, maybe. That's not science. Okay? You can't demonstrate that. Nobody's ever demonstrated it. Okay, so evolution is uh, uh, observable and testable was the last statement my opponent made. Nobody says so. Even Stephen, uh, even uh, Richard Dawkins agrees. He says evolution is not observable. It's just we observe it in the past. That's what he says. We observe it by looking at the past with our rose-colored glasses and assume it. Now, uh, evolution is scientifically impossible. 90 years of study into the effects of random genetic mutation have been conducted since the 1930s, since the days of Haldane. And guess what? 90 years, over a million studies. If you printed them all with a desktop printer and stacked the papers, they'd be multiple stories tall. That's how many papers have been published in the science journals about the observed effects of random genetic mutation in science since the 1930s. Multiple stories worth of papers, 90 years worth. And guess what? Nobody has ever demonstrated that it's been observed. The mutations build anything that's structural and functional in any organism, ever, never, not once, nothing. What mutations have been proven to do in science for 90 years is cause weaknesses, deformities, and stillbirth, or death prior to birth, but never new biological structures. The evolutionist believes in their mythology passed down from the Hindu Brahmin to the ancient Greeks, spoken to us by Thales of Miletus, Anaximander, Anaximenes, and, and Aristotle, that mut the mutation, the modern version of this is the mutations create the structural designs of living things. If evolution were true, 
all the anatomical features of every single creature in this world, the proboscis of a, of, of, of a, of a, a mosquito, the, the nasal passages of a mouse, the, the brain of a human being in every anatomy, the kidney of a, of, of a chimpanzee, every anatomical feature in every creature in this world would have been, had to have been produced by random mutations accruing on, on, on genes to cause them to build in information that produced new structural designs in the anatomy of living things. If that were not true, evolution cannot be true because everything would have the same anatomy. Anatomical change is necessary for evolution to occur. There's zero scientific evidence that genetic mutations have the potential to cause anatomical change that's functional and becomes fixed. Now, don't strawman me. Functional and becomes fixed in a population. Mutations can cause anatomical deformities, which natural selection removes, but it never has been observed, and we have no scientific reason to believe. The mutations cause new structural design that's functional, useful, and preserved in populations because of mutation, never observed. No scientist has reported that in any science paper in 90 years, ever. What modern science, not the ancient myth of evolution, passed on to the Greeks from the Hindu Brahmin and the Egyptians and the Babylonians, has demonstrated is that life is so complex down to the molecular level that it's implausible to believe that evolution is true. It's obvious a mind was involved. In fact, DNA has been proven to be a, a, a physical model molecule that could never arise by mo sheer natural chemistry. It can't produce the, 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 the nucleotides, all of them, that will even produce it, or the sugar ribose backbone molecule. It's not going to happen. Natural chemistry cannot produce the DNA molecule. But upon that, we have this. DNA is a physical medium, just like a book is a printed medium, encoded with digital, overlapping, nested, hierarchical, highly complex information, which operates linguistically with phonetics, semantics, punctuation, syntax, grammar, semiotics, and aprobatics, and operates algorithmically. The problem for the evolutionists here is the information, semiotics, and algorithms arise only from an intelligence. Therefore, it's an empirical scientific fact. Because DNA, I'm done. Thank you. We will kick it into open conversation and want to let you know, folks, our guests are linked in the description. So if you want to hear more from our guests, you certainly can by clicking on those links in the description box. And that includes if you're listening via podcast. As folks, we are pumped that Modern Day Debate does have a podcast and you can find our guests' links in the description box for each podcast episode as well. So with that, we'll kick into open dialogue. Thanks so much, gentlemen. The floor is all yours. Okay. Uh, thanks, Nephilim. Um, not quite sure where to start here, but I guess a good place to start would be, um, it's kind of weird that you're saying that no mutation, no beneficial mutations have ever been recorded is that is that fair to say that that's what you said? Hello, Nephilim Free, are you on mute? No, I'm. I'm sorry, I'm here. Yeah. So, so is that? 
did I hear that right? Is that you're you're Sorry? saying that no beneficial mutations have no, no. been recorded? It's not strong, man. I said nobody has observed that random mutations, occurring mutations in a population, build anatomical features that are functional and useful and preserve by natural selection. But I, I thought I also heard you say that mutations have only been recorded to be uh, deleterious, like cause no, no, deformities and stillbirths? You no, I didn't say that. No, I didn't say that. Okay. But beneficial mutations are outrageously rare. Possibly one out of every two million mutations, according to geneticists in the late 1990s. Well, the reason for that is that mutation is always happening, and you're not necessarily going to notice the beneficial ones unless there's a specific selection pressure. Well, if they're that rare, how in the world are they going to build anatomical structures over a trillion years? Well, with a very long time. They're happening all the time. And so when there's natural... Can you give us examples of that? Respond, nephilim-free. So they're happening all the time, even with even randomly generated um, nucleic acid sequences can yield functional uh, properties that can offer advantages depending on the natural selections you place on the organism. For example, um, we have this paper here where the scientists measured uh, just that. They had a set of random non-coding DNA. So this DNA was not coding. And uh, they uh, basically cloned all of these random DNA sequences into just an E. coli bacteria, and then did competitive growth experiments and found contrary to their expectations that about 25% of the randomly generated cloned DNA actually uh, enhanced their growth rate. So these are randomly generated non-functional segments of DNA that end up developing or evolving a function when correct selection pressures are placed upon them. So. Well, you say a function. I don't see a function. Nobody described a function. Secondly, you, you pointed something that causes cancer, an increased growth rate uh, over the normal growth rate. That's that's exactly what cancer is. You know, well, but bacteria, so, bacteria so, don't. Let me let me respond. So uh, that that's not you haven't provided any evidence for evolution. All you pointed out is that mutations can cause an increase in growth rate, which is above normal. And that's a bad thing for an organism. Yeah. So what you've done is what evolutionists always do. You've seen uh, something that causes change, and you've read into that millions of ideas of evolution, but science doesn't demonstrate that. See, evolution isn't science. It's the ideas in your head. Can I, can I ask you a question? Can, sure. can, e, can e. coli get cancer? Um. Well, no, but you're talking about that's uh, that that's a straw man. You're talking about a single well, no, well, cell no, organism. because because you're you're saying that this that's isn't a straw uh, man. Well, no, you're you're saying yes. no. You're you're yes. saying that. Let, let me finish. The article is about multicellular organisms, is it not? No, this article is working with bacteria. Okay, so growth rate of growth rate uh, does that relate to reproduction? Fitness. It fitness. Relates to fitness. How does growth rate relate to fitness? Because these are competitive assays. The, the organisms How does that, that produce... Hold on, Ness, some... you have to let him finish when okay. you ask the question. 
yeah. the, the organisms that outcompete the rest of the E. coli are the most fit. So it relates to their fitness. Are you, are you familiar with Lansky's experiment, which has fizzled down to a drizzling draw and to a death, where Lansky's experiment has in the last couple of years demonstrated that the, 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 the population is completely unsustainable. And now the mutations have actually virtually destroyed everything. And it's, they're all dying because they become so, so dependent upon the specific environment provided by the researchers that if released into the lab, uh, into the natural environment, they would simply die almost immediately. So what you're calling specialization really is specialization to a survive. You're not providing evidence that science, that, that genetics causes any new structural designs to arise in body plans, which would be necessary for evolution. An organism becoming specialized in its ability to survive in a restricted environment is, is an adaptation, which is an example of intelligent design, but doesn't generate demonstrate any evolutionary mechanism. Evolutionary, evolutionists love to pretend that evolution doesn't say what evolution does. And what evolution says is structural designs change over time to give us every proboscis, every feature, every eyeball of every creature that lives in this earth. But they can't ever talk about that. Instead, what they talk about is a bacteria can survive in a, an environment highly selective, highly managed by the laboratory experimenters, and, and then if released into the environment because they've become so, so specialized to that environment, they would die. And that's not, that, that's not evolution in the real world. That's selective uh, pressure in a petri dish that's not evidence of evolution well i will say that by definition an organism becoming a especially uh, accustomed or fit to a lab environment is still evolution because evolution will naturally try to push an organism towards its optimal fitness in a particular environment not so optimal, just an acceptable fitness. Right, so let's try to merge, take your idea and extrapolate it to the real world. So the organism yeah. can become uh, specialized in a, in a highly controlled environment produced by a, a researcher, which yeah, is so fed a specific food at a specific temperature, a specific amount of light, etc., and for a very long period of time, and it adapts to survive in that environment. Now, what evidence is there from that, that anatomical features, that biology, the mutations, design changes to structural designs, create body plan changes, morphological change that leads us to believe that a creature with a fundamentally different design can arise from one with a fundamentally different design? Because if evolution were true, that's what you got to have evidence for. Creatures becoming specialized in a petri dish doesn't help evolution. What's the evidence for real evolution? Yeah, yeah. So, so I know what you're asking, but the point here is that these experiments in the molecular world that identify fundamental mechanisms by which a genome can grow, change, develop new genes, so, so on and so forth, ID. all of those things still apply to the macro world. And we can observe evidence of these events happening in the genomes that we see today. For example, in the form of pseudogenes, genes that were once functional, but now are not. And also 
another example being what I brought up in the uh, opening statement with the Hawks genes, which I think um, the point there was that the uh, order in which Hawks genes are organized on a particular chromosome is conserved throughout millions of years of evolution. That was the main point. They don't all have to be the same. Uh, there are plenty of paralogs between uh, organisms, but the point is that the order in which they're organized is conserved. And that is a very striking similarity that uh, is kind of what we would exactly expect if one were pre to predict evolution and go looking for it, evidence of it in the genome. Well, I, I didn't hear any evidence for what I asked for. I heard assumptions. And when it comes to pseudogenes, I'm not going to read all this to you. This is just a fraction of the information I have available to me. It, it, I don't know if you're aware of it, but pseudogenes, what are called pseudogenes, many, many, many of them have been discovered to actually have function. They're not pseudo at, at all, in fact. They actually have function. So a what, very, what, what very kind large, of function? And, 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 so... Uh, so here's here's the thing if evolution is true mutation and natural selection has to create all the anatomical features of every living thing in this world we have no scientific evidence that's true what we have is a petri dish you can give a selective food source under a right temperature to a fit, uh, to a bacteria and it'll survive it'll survive and survive lenski's experiments have just about fizzled now this the, the bacteria are so specialized and there's so many broken genes they're almost dead are you aware of this lenski has reported it himself okay I, I, uh, you you're aware of lenski's experiment going on for what 35 40 years right now Right. And how and other other scientists uh, produced the very same kind of experiment. Uh, one produced, uh, I can't remember his name, from the 19, uh, what was it, uh, 30s till the 1970s or something, a similar experiment. He produced the very same thing. The bacteria specialized and when released into the environment, die because they can't they can't survive anymore. I'm not hearing evidence that evolution by natural selection and mutation produces the physical features that explain the variance, the, the variety. If there's a Darwinian tree of life or even a bush or a web, okay, you have to believe that mutations and natural selection builds the structures that build all the creatures, the incredible variety of things in this world. That's what we can never give get evolutionists to give us evidence for. Instead, they argue for ridiculous things like bacteria can continue to survive in a petri dish. So I'm not sure why you think that a bacteria becoming hyper adapted to a lab environment is not evidence of evolution. I just, can you explain, I think can I you just explain? explained it to you, didn't I? Because it doesn't it, change it, it the anatomy of the... of the bacteria one tiny bit. It doesn't give us any more evidence of evolution than any of the oh. mutations observed in any of the other organisms, including deer and human beings that have been observed, tested, and repeated in a laboratory or, or measured or, 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 you know, reported in the journals what we what we observe the effects of mutation and this is where evolutionists jump science they skip science they hate science you actually hate science you hate the fact that science is reported for 90 years okay so mutations so cause weakness deformity, just... and death and you believe this mythological thing that mutations don't do that instead they build fantastically complex interdependent functional new stuff 
That's what you need evidence for. If you yeah. can't provide that, you have zero evidence of evolution. Yeah, that's I, I, I'm telling you the fundamental mechanisms of DNA that give rise to all of those differences. But um, uh, let me just uh, let me say first that you can change the morphology of bacteria in the lab with experiments uh, that can I, are can evolutionary I ask you a question, sir? For example, anatomy Math, or morphology? We did just let you speak. So let's let him finish. What are you saying? You can change the, I mean, anatomy and morphology, it's kind of the same thing with a bacteria, but when it comes to biofilm, so bacteria will come together in these communities to form what we call biofilms. Those have a very specific morphology, anatomy, whatever you like to call it. They have very specific structures to them. And you can observe evolution of biofilms in the lab. So, I mean, that's kind of an example of that in the molecular micro world. But if we take that to the macro world, all of these principles of new information arising in the genome, all these mechanisms, they still apply to organisms like you and me. And we can see the changes just in the past, in the past uh, recent history, that these kinds of changes can cause in the genome, just with speciation in plants, for example, or how far we've taken wolves out of their environment and evolved them into all the different forms of dog that we see. I know that you're probably going to say it's still the same kind, but those genetic mechanisms are causing all of those drastic. Uh, morphological differences that we can observe so it's it's observable okay so you're confusing as evolutionists always do uh, morphology with anatomy i hear this all the time it's a favorite uh, uh, tactic of theirs um, what anatomical change has ever been observed in uh, one of one of the things i would like you to address is because you are you said they're kind of the same thing with comes in to bacteria, bacteria. In bacteria. Yeah. Okay. So, what anatomical? What I would like you to address is what anatomical feature has been observed to arise in bacteria by mutation and natural selection. I'm going to tell you right up front. The answer is none. Biofilms. None. No. And morphology is form and structure. Anatomy is the structural design of a functional feature which has critical interdependence with the rest of the body plan. That's an anatomical thing. Nobody's ever observed an anatomical feature arise incrementally in any bacteria ever. What we observed is morphological. Um, the bacteria can change shape. They can be completely round or they can be elongated. You know, so they can be, be oblong. But but when nobody has ever observed this. So you're confusing morphology and anatomy because evolutionists love to do this. They love to play this game that, look, morphology can change. Therefore, anatomy changes. Uh, uh, no, 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 no. Stop right there. No. Can you just, can no. You just for a second give me an example of what an anatomical so, so, change in a bacteria so, would be? So, well, that's I hear that question every time I bring this up from every evolutionist. They always ask. So because you believe... That morphological changes over time equate to anatomical change, but you can't provide the science of that. So, what's so the evidence you, of it? But if you could just answer my question, no, what's, what's an I example? I would ask you to give us the evidence. You said they're kind of the same thing. Can well, you I'm, tell us the evidence that they're the same thing? 
No, no, I didn't say they're the same thing. You, you said they're kind yeah, of the same thing. No, 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 that's, no. It, that's in the context, a quote. You said, quote, they're kind of the same thing when it comes to bacteria, end quote. Okay, Neph, let's, ha- let's let me, give let me a chance to respond, Neff. Let me talk for a sec. Uh, please don't misrepresent what I say. No, it, that's comes exactly to, what you please, said. Please, please hold on a second. When it comes to bacteria, anatomy, and morphology, okay, bacteria don't have a body plan. So if you're talking about anatomy, it's technically not, doesn't apply to bacteria. Morphology is the correct term, but we're talking colloquially here. So I just said they're kind of the same thing when it comes to bacteria. When it comes to organisms like you and I, it's not the same thing. I'm perfectly aware of that, but I'm talking about new genetic information causing morphological changes in bacteria. Right back to morphology. See, when I when I when I when I caught you in this, uh, you know, hide, you know, hand 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 game, you know, slipping the, the the nuts around and looking for the pee underneath them, you you revert back to morphology. See, that's the game evolutionists always play, and a new a, a um, the arrival of a flagellum would be a new anatomical feature in a bacteria. Oh, Do you know okay. agree? Great. Just so say yes can, or no, and then let me finish can, my response, please. So you, yeah, you is can, that you correct can or not? Ab- yes, you can is observe that, would the that evolution be anatomical? of the flagellum as well. Would that be anatomical in a bacteria or not? Te- te- technically, or morphological. Technically, not no, because bacteria don't have a body. It, it, it wouldn't be anatomical. Okay, so you're saying that if a bacteria had no flagellum and then it had one, that would not be anatomical. It does not have a body plan, so no, I don't it, believe it, regardless that. Regardless of your, I think we're getting. I think Nephilim free. You have to give him more than two words to okay. respond to these questions. Do you get I, I, that? I, I think I think we're kind of spiraling into semantics here, and that's not really helping the conversation here, because the core issue that I'm trying to get across here is that there are mechanistic changes in DNA that we can observe, we can test that result in changes in fitness and in the case of bacteria direct morphological structural changes and we can observe the same thing when we apply those mechanisms take what we learn in bacteria and apply it to organisms like you and i look at the genomes of dogs plants any organism you choose and you can find evidence of these exact mechanisms having taken place over long periods of time. So are you saying that bacteria have no anatomy? There are not anatomical features to a bacteria, like a flagellum is not an anatomical feature in a bacteria. Or a ribosome is not an anatomical feature, or the cell membrane is not an anatomical feature or the proteins which span through the uh, membrane uh, of the bacteria uh, that either allow or or disallow other uh, elements to enter into vacuoles those are not anatomical features are you actually telling me that bacteria have no anatomy there are no structural designs that are functional that are part of the bacterial uh, so, is so, are you seriously doing that? So, so like I said, I think we're getting into semantics here. I don't believe that I, I anatomy. I, I don't believe that anatomy is the correct word because cells don't have a body plan. 
They don't. When we so, talk about when we talk about cells, we usually talk about their physiology, their structure. So if a cell has use, no, if a cell has no, anatomy. if a cell, I I don't care how you use it. I if the uh, evolutionists use it. If if a cell has a flagellum or has no flagellum, another bacteria has none. Is that not anatomical? Uh, would not anatomy be considered a structural design which is biomechanically functional? Is that not correct? Would you not consider an okay. anatomical feature to be one that is a biomechanical feature? Again, if I... if that's correct, then would not a, the existence of a flagellum or the absence of one be considered an anatomical chain difference between two species of bacteria? And then what is your scientific evidence that random genetic mutations have the ability to create anatomical features in complex organisms? Again, I don't think that I don't think that anatomy is the correct word when talking about cells. You didn't and answer the question. I asked you if in, if in the the existence or the non-existence of a flagellum would be an anatomical difference in the bacteria. And I and I'm telling you, I don't think anatomy is the right word. But let let's just get back to the that core would be morphological then. Let's get back to the core issue here. But, but can I ask you, would that be morphological and not anatomical in your mind? I would call it a change in cell structure. But you wouldn't call it morphological, but you, you did say that morphology and anatomy are basically the same thing when it comes to bacteria. We heard, we all heard you say that a few I, minutes I, ago. I don't hear the word anatomy used. But that's what you talking. said. Because you brought up the word anatomy. No, you said that bacterial, when it comes to bacteria, anatomy and morphology are basically the same thing. So okay, no, is, no, is that not an anatomical difference if a bacteria has no flagellum and another has? Because there are plenty of species that don't, there's plenty that okay, do. Th this, this, is, this is getting way off track. But I, so I want to answer for your belief. I've answered, I've answered several times. Right, but see, let's, get back to, let's get back to something you said earlier. You were you asserting so in your definition of anatomy for a cell let's just take that and go with it were you talking about structure of a cell membrane as being anatomical no i didn't mention membranes you did you, well you... i mean later i did but i wasn't uh yeah i said that the the, the uh the, you know when it comes to bacteria we're talking about a simple organism and there's no such thing as a simple so organism, so so would you would you consider a change would in your definitions of what we're talking about here would you consider a change to the cell membrane as an anatomical change i said wait didn't i describe anatomical as uh, biological functional yeah you included cell membrane uh, when you talked uh, about uh, that i wrote it down physical thing right so I, I think a protein spanning through the membrane, if it that it has a, a feature where it creates a, a port, for example, in in the membrane of a bacteria, um, is an I would consider that anatomical. If you don't, then I don't know. It seems like you're the one playing games with anatomy and morphology because you don't want to support evolution. So I, I'm asking for evidence of evolution. You're telling me that. You know that there's no anatomical difference between bacteria, but then we have plenty of bacteria that have flagellum and some that don't. You know, so is, the, is that anatomical or morphological? 
Again, you're you're getting deep into Can semantics, you just which is not. the question: Is it nephilim free? Nephilim free. Nephilim free. I'm dead serious. I'm going to start <laughs> muting you liberally if you keep giving him two words to respond with. He gets more than two words. That's fair, right? Listen, you brought up anatomy. We are now in this really deep and I think unproductive conversation, a semantic conversation about anatomy and morphology. I told you that I don't think that anatomy is the word that cell biologists use when describing cellular structures. But you want to have this dichotomy between morphology and anatomy, which I get is important when talking about organisms with the body plan. But I'm not trying to talk about that right now. I'm trying to ask you if a cell were to drastically change its cell membrane would you consider that an anatomical change in your definition we can call it morphological structural whatever you like but would that well, be would that is is that kind of along the lines of what you want to see when it comes to these structural changes in the cellular world so you're asking me the same question that you refuse to answer I don't have to answer it because you refuse to tell me whether or not the presence okay. or absence of a, a flagellum in a bacteria would be anatomical or morphological after telling us 15 minutes ago that uh, and morphology and anatomy are kind of the same thing when it comes to bacteria, end quote. Okay, so I, I don't think good we're job getting... with that. So okay. you're, you're, you, that, that's a mis that, that's. You know, it's obviously uh, it's obvious I, I, that you're playing games with words because you won't answer my questions and you can't answer my questions with science that demonstrates evolution. Once. Now, I can skip the bacteria altogether and go on to, to what are considered complex organisms or rather, i.e. multicellular organisms with intercellular systems like organs right and yeah. ask you the same question and you'll play the same game you won't be able to do it what's the scientific evidence that in random mutations acted upon by natural selection are able to build in the anatomy structural functional biological features that, that, that you know in, in the, so that we can believe there's a tree or a web or, or or brush of life you know that all organisms have a common ancestry and you won't be able to answer that question either we could spend 18 hours in this live chat and you won't be able to do it so okay. what is the evidence for evolution the mutations building upon each other when 90 years of mutation experimentation have been performed and nobody's ever reported any such thing. You believe it, I know. We're but gonna, what's the scientific evidence that that occurs? Okay. We're going to okay, give so. uh, Dr. Wilson a chance to respond, and then I think it's a good idea if we explore other, you could say, sub-arguments in this topic. And so, Dr. Wilson, go ahead, and then maybe we'll change gears to a new topic before we go into the Q&A in maybe about eh, 20, 25 minutes or so. Okay. Yeah. So I, d I don't think we're getting anywhere on this topic, but where I was trying to get to was uh, if, if you think, if you're looking for an anatomical change in the cellular molecular world, the easiest thing to point to would be sickle cell anemia, which is a complete structural change of a red blood cell from a biconcave disc to a crescent shape. And that all happens from one point mutation in one protein. And so in the molecular world, that's a pretty drastic change. But 
obviously when it gets to um, bigger organisms, those changes are not going to be as drastic with just one point mutations, you know, from results that we can see physically, such as a, a different sized appendage or a new body part, those changes are going to happen much more slowly over time. So that's why it, we don't directly observe these things happening in our lifetimes or in the last hundred thousand, hundreds or thousands of years that we've been recording history, because it evolution predicts that those drastic changes are going to take a very long time in order to accumulate enough mutations to affect a body part that drastically. So, but in the molecular world, we can see it pretty easily and we know the mechanisms that cause that. And we know those mechanisms happen all the time in larger organisms as well. Are there any other arguments sure. in terms of either against evolution from Neff or arguments for evolution from Dr. Wilson that yes. are different from what we've discussed so far? Yeah. Something new, changing it up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I would respond that. No, uh, firstly, not responding to the last argument. We Somebody's got to have the last word on each of these arguments. Okay, now, we can give you the last word on the next argument, but I do want to change gears into a new argument. Okay. Well, I would completely disagree with what my opponent just said. But okay, now, I, I will okay. say that. I, we know I, I, that, I that, but we, we do. I just want to be sure. Are you are you just going to go back to the same argument and respond to what he just no, said, or are, no, we, are you okay changing gears? Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'll, bring, uh, I would, I'll bring something up. I would up provide up that, that, that uh, the existence of the DNA molecule itself discredits evolution theory com conclusively. The, First the, off, sorry, the what uh, of the DNA natural, molecule? The existence of it. Oh, Na okay. Natural chemistry can never produce DNA. Uh, uh, in, in a prebiotic earth, scientists who are secular themselves have reported that there's no known mechanism for the development of the DNA molecule. They, they're they're scratching their heads. It, it can, uh, such as Robert Shapiro, one of the world's foremost biologists and evolutionists, by the way, uh, admits that you'll never get the sugar ribose backbone molecule of the DNA by by uh, natural chemistry. It's just never going to happen. Okay? okay, and so uh, on top of that, then we have the very existence of DNA, which is a material medium encoded with digital information more complex than Microsoft Windows, an operating system more complex than Windows, which is algorithmic and linguistic. Scientists have reported in the medical journals numerous, numerous, numerous times that DNA operates linguistically, algorithmically, semiotically. It produces, it has uh, uh, phonetics, semantics, punctuation, syntax, grammar, acrobatics and semiotics it also operates algorithmically algorithms information linguistics semiotics are all products only of intelligence so the evolutionist is completely in denial of 20th century science because of their 19th century myth actually 3500 year old myth because Modern science has proven that DNA is information, linguistics, and algorithms, which can only be produced by an intelligence only. If that's true, All right. well, evolution is not true. Well, we'll give a chance to Dr. Wilson to respond. Yeah, so um, this is kind of getting away from evolution and into abiogenesis. So evolution explains the diversity of life that we see. 
abiogenesis tries to answer the question of how all those molecules that make life got there. So that's kind of getting outside of the discussion of evolution and more into abiogenesis is what I would say to that. Um, but uh, also I'll add just for the sake of argument that uh, DNA uh, is incredible. It is operating in ways that are really complex, but all that complexity kind of emerges from a relatively simple set of rules, which is uh, complementary base pairing. Four, four letters, ATCG, complementary base pair together. And from that rule and a few others, a few other chemical properties of the molecule, you get a very wide array of really complex uh, mechanisms. And I don't think that necessitates intelligent design um, because, well, it, we can understand the properties that govern the mechanisms in DNA and its chemistry. Uh, I don't think you can't test whether or not uh, an intelligent designer created DNA because it's not falsifiable. I guess we can go back to that point that I made in my opening statement. It's, it's just not falsifiable because no matter what you observe, you can just say that the creator created it that way. Okay, so here's the mistake you made. You pointed to the fact that uh, the ACGT interdependencies from one strand to the other on the DNA molecule uh, determine what which base pair can attach or not uh, is not able to attach on the other side of the DNA molecule. That doesn't have anything to do with how it became specified. Uh, one of a beautiful example of that is that modern science, which evolutionists despise, demonstrates that the information on one strand of the DNA, read one direction, can produce one set of instructions, while the other strand, read even in the opposite direction, produce a different set of instructions. So well, that doesn't that doesn't give us reason to believe that na DNA natural selection there is no such thing as chemical natural selection that can produce a DNA molecule. It only exists in the fantasies of evolutionists. If the, the if if what what the the incredible discovery of modern genetics is that DNA genetic information is strand hopping, reverse and forward reading, overlapping and compressed information and it can even hop strands and read verse backwards so it doesn't matter that if you have a on one side you have to have a g on the other it doesn't matter it's not that doesn't matter it's not like natural chemistry could even produce that couldn't even produce the, the backbone it's not going to happen according to robert shapiro one of the world's foremost bio, uh, uh, genetic biologists so uh, and he's an evolutionist he's just being honest he's saying look i can't figure it out I'm, I'm one of the world's experts i can't figure it out if you guys can let me know that's what he's published you know uh, and he's just being honest he, he doesn't say i believe creation he just says i can't figure it out I, it, it doesn't seem plausible to me but hey that's what it is and so and nobody's arguing against shapiro Nobody has said Shapiro is wrong and this is why he's so blatantly wrong. Nobody says that. They just say, well, Shapiro's right. We got to figure it out. Right? Okay. So, okay. Uh, well, I just want to focus on one thing you said, which is 
the directionality of DNA. So yeah, we know that DNA is two strands um, that base pair together and one strand is read one direction, the other strand is read the other direction. There's one directionality to each strand. Why is that weird? Why is that evidence against evolution? Yes, oh, that's a marvelous question because it, it demonstrates that the designer was so ingenious that two completely separate and critical sets of information were written at the same time when one side was encoded, it demonstrated that another set of instructions for other biological functions in the organism were written at the same time that are completely unrelated to the other. Or and critical to the organism's existence. To believe that that could arise by natural chemistry is absurdity. Why? Because of the complexity of it. It, it, because both are necessary and because of the complexity of it. Evolutionists hate complexity. In because both, what, what, what both is necessary? What both, both, what? both strands, what? both sequences of information may be necessary to the organism's existence. And yet they're only well, depend, uh, dependent upon each other because of the arrangement. What this demonstrates is intelligent design at such a level that is beyond human comprehension. It is outrageously so, ingenious. So I guess this kind of goes back to the irreducible comp uh, complexity argument because uh, DNA, while it is very complex, we see that there are self-replicating uh, particles that are lifelike viruses that exist with a single-stranded RNA genome and you know that's a much simpler uh pseudo life form than a double-stranded uh, dna helix carrying organism so to think that it had to start with two strands in an organism is not that's not necessary at all there's, well, a, simpler, RNA there's world. a simpler there's a simpler system that probably you know, came before the more complex one. Well, there's a simpler system that exists in the imagination of the evolutionists. Well, uh, no, we can, we plenty, can see plenty of Plenty of the evolutionist exist. scientists themselves have discredited the RNA world hypothesis. Uh, they've uh, acknowledged that the idea is implausible. Uh, Robert Shapiro is one of them. Uh, that this idea is just implausible. It's an ad hoc assertion, but nobody has science that demonstrates it. Secondly, um, um, you're, you're, you're positing that, uh, that this information that produces one strand uh, on one strand and the other could produce by, by natural selection. Do you realize that what you're expecting us to believe is that as evolution produced one strand of information, at the same time, it accidentally produced other information that's going to be so critical to the organism's operation that without the first one, the other one is no good. Well, in a, in and, a, and that, to me, demonstrates the absurd anti-science thinking of evolutionists. They believe in the most magical sort of situation where you can believe that the most complex information known to man could arise because molecules bump into each other, and yet man is not able to write information that complex or specified with Microsoft Windows. In Washington, United States, 
the Microsoft Corporation, uh, one of the largest corporations in the world, can't write software that is as complex and functional as what's in your DNA. But you want us to believe that what, what's in your DNA happened because molecules bump around. No. <laughs> Evolution doesn't say that. But so That's exactly what it says. No, that's not what it says. That is. It is not. But you are kind of skipping the fact that you know, it doesn't have to start as double-stranded DNA with uh, one strand that perfectly complements the other. If you have enough single-stranded nucleic acid molecules, such as RNA or DNA around, eventually they're going to be able to base pair with each other because it's only four letters. So eventually you're going to get mechanisms that allow these two single strands to base pair together. And then if that... Yeah, and if that mechanism is favorable to the fitness of whatever organism is carrying those molecules, then that'll be selected for. And then over time we get DNA stored in the nucleus. Eventually. So uh, how long is this, what is this time scale of yours where you believe that eventually one, one bit of information, one little tiny, uh, you know, bite of information in the DNA gets selected for so many times that it becomes critical. And then not only becomes critical, but it designs something. And then uh, numerous events like this happen so that it designs something more and more and more, and then becomes the proboscis in, in a mosquito. I mean, well, well do, so do, you in, in my... do you not realize that the time scale the evolutionists have um, equates to multiple times the existence of the universe, according to secular cosmologists. Mm, no. You're talking okay, about trillions Two questions in a row that you've asked, Neff. Let's give him a chance to answer those. Trillions so, so, times trillions. Neff, like how, no, that's not, that's not how does that... If I say let's give him a chance to, to answer, that doesn't mean keep going. Uh, go ahead, Dr. Wilson. It does not necessitate trillions of years. Uh, but uh, one thing you said... Uh, uh, so how, how long would it take, right? So in my opening, the paper I showed where scientists were able to uh, observe an enzyme adopt a new function to contribute to the fitness of the bacteria, that took 3,000 generations in a selective environment. And it required... To do what? It, Can it I ask you actually, again? Nah, I didn't, I didn't, I, respond. No, I, I just... two I, different questions. I, no, I just want to hear what he said. It required two you mutations. come back to it, I promise. No, I just want to hear what he said. Do you want to could, give him a could, could you, oh, I just what? want to hear what he said. Can you? What was it that you say was observed? I'm sorry, I just didn't hear you. Scientists observed said within and, generations. Could you repeat that, please? So, within 3,000 generations, scientists observed an enzyme adopt two separate mutations. I believe it was a point mutation and an insertion that allowed this enzyme to adopt a completely new function that allowed the organism to survive in this selective environment that the scientists had created for it. Okay, thank you. I wanted uh, a clarification on that because I, mm -hmm. I didn't hear what you said. Uh, again, we're going back to Lenski. Uh, you know, no evidence for evolution there. Um, you know, survival in a Petri dish doesn't demonstrate that the, you know, the, the, the uh, tusks of an, of an elephant or the, uh, you know, the jaw of a, a marsupial 
kidneys, uh, you know, or, or the ear bones, the, the, the ossicles uh, of a, you know, marsupial are going to evolve because of mutation. What we have, what I've so, been pressing you for a long time about in this debate is the evidence that random genetic mutations and natural selection can build the structural designs of living things. And what you've told me is that you believe it, and you believe it because bacteria can adapt in the environment in a petri dish and survive. And that's your belief on evolution. And that's not sufficient as evidence of evolution as anyone with a clear mind. Give them a chance to respond. So, again, I'm trying to show you the fundamental mechanisms by which larger events happen, but I don't know why you're hung up on this idea that bacteria grown in the lab not being able to survive in a different environment is somehow disproving evolution. Because if you took bacteria from the environment and moved them into the lab and had them compete with the lab strain, the lab strain would win. So it's just a matter of, you know, perspective. So I don't know why that's a problem for evolution. Right. It's like it's like saying it's like saying, uh, oh, you know, a, a fish is so adapted to the ocean, but if you move it to land, it's gonna die. Like, I don't I don't really understand where you're going with that. Nephilim yeah. free. Are you there, Nephilim free? I, I just uh, all I've heard is, you know, speculations that, you know, microbiological changes that occur in the bacteria uh, demonstrates that evolution is true and it's produced the tusks of an elephant and, uh, you know, the uh, eyeballs of a, a, a tiger. And, and, and to me, that's just anti science. You're welcome to believe that. It sounds an awful lot like mythology because that's clearly what it is. It began with the Hindu Brahmin. It was passed on to the, from them to the Babylonians who passed it on to the Greeks. It was written about by Aristotle and Examander and Examenes and Thales and Miletus. And that's where you got it. Then in the, in, uh, in the uh, Renaissance, late Renaissance, during the Enlightenment era, uh, the Freemasons cult got a hold of the idea and they push it into the science and that's where you believe it but nobody has demonstrated science that demonstrates the mutations natural selection produce structural design changes that cause one type of organism to develop features that move it towards becoming a fundamentally different type of organism we have absolutely zero absolutely zero scientific evidence for that you can't talk about it all you talk about is bacteria surviving in a petri dish because you don't have any reason nor scientific evidence to demonstrate that one organism can develop into a fundamentally different type of organism because of mutation natural selection over time there's no such thing in science. No scientist has evidence of it. If evolution were true, you need to be able to tell me how DNA is a, a, a physical medium encoded with complex, specified, functional information which operates linguistically, algorithmically, semiotically, possessing phonetics, semantics, punctuation, syntax, grammar, and alphabetics. If you could tell us that, 
you could turn the world upside down. But you All can't right, provide any evidence of that. I would like to hear evidence for that. Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry. Evidence that DNA is what you said it is? Just well, the, the, the science journals report count, count, countless times by not creationists, but secular scientists have reported that DNA is complex, specified yeah, yeah. So, functional so, information, which okay. operates I heard, I heard that part, semiotically, uh, possessing uh, phonetic, semantics, punctuation, syntax, grammar, and semiotics. Okay, and this is not the creationist papers. So? Evolutionists have published this. All right. So, can you explain how those things can arise by natural chemistry? Uh, it's chemistry it is chemistry uh, can you those... explain it though we have to give them a chance to actually elaborate so the enough. so the n nature of a nucleic acid with a nitrogenous base and a sugar backbone with four letters atcg those simple chemical rules give rise to complex mechanisms and you know we can go through an entire course on that but i don't think that's really what the audience is looking for i just i think it's weird that you keep calling evolution mythology when so evolution is trying to answer the question of how did this diverse array of life get here we can we can hypothesize that it got here from random mutation and natural selection and that all life is related to each other and on some level and we can go out and test that idea we can look for evidence of it and we find evidence of it all over the molecular world all over the fossil record all over any disciplinary every discipline in biology but the other answer that you seem to be pushing is that it was an intelligent designer which you can't test and you can't falsify. So I don't see one as mythology. I don't see evolution as mythology and the other as science. You know what I'm saying? Like, well, it, it, how do you, it's how do you test? How, how do you test or falsify an, an intelligent designer? We're going to sure, do a absolutely. brief response, Neff, and then we're going to go into Q and A. Okay, it's absolutely testable and observable and repeatable that DNA is information, complex, specified information, which operates linguistically, algorithmically, semantics, punctuation, phonetics, syntax, grammar, linguistics, algorithms, and semiotics. That's a fact. It's been published in the science journals over and over and over and over again by evolutionists themselves. So... The fact is, those things can only be produced by intelligence. It's impossible for natural chemistry to make them. Therefore, evolution is false. Intelligent design is a scientific fact. Like it or not. We're okay. uh, <laughs> going to jump into the Q&A. And want to mention, folks, our guests are linked in the description. So both Dr. Wilson and Nephilim Free are linked below. Folks, if you want to hear more from them, they have their own channels. You can hear plenty more to your heart's content. 
And as I had mentioned, folks, that includes if you are listening via the Modern Day Debate podcast, as we also put our guest links in the description box for each podcast episode. And so we highly encourage you to check these guys out. We really do appreciate them. And I can tell you guys, a lot of positive feedback. People really enjoyed this. And so it's been a really fun time. We've got questions we're going to go through. So we're not done yet. We are going to start with Let's see. Steven Steen, nasty guy, says Neff if my science Neff is my scientific hero of truth. Got a fan out there, Neff. And Andrew Rouse, thanks for your kind words. Says James, it's Rouse like house. Remember, that's right. Says and yes, over here near midday in Australia. Keep up the effing good work, my guy. Thank you for that, Andrew. And we're always excited when people from around the world tune in and say hello. So, Barry, Barry, thanks for your super chat. Says, miss you, Neff. Hope all is well. When are we going to have a debate on this channel about the reasonableness of belief in God? James, let's do this. Well, that might work. Could be a juicy one. Then we have a message from Raw Nakedness which has been deleted. She must have said something really bad. Dustin Ellerby, thanks for your question, said, how can a mind exist with no data, yet can create matter out of nothing to produce complex life? I'm not even sure who that's for. How can a I mind exist enough. with no data? That's Okay, go ahead, Neff. Oh, I, I, I just say... Um... No data. Well, uh, the data is all in the uh, in, in the hands of the creationists. Uh, it, it's been demonstrated for ninety years that mutations are destructive, and the evolutionist believes in their pseudoscience that mutations design upon each other. They build upon each other to create complex stuff. It's a myth that it requires deep time that nobody can observe. It, it's a fantasy. Uh, what's observed is that mutations cause weakness, deformity, and death. That's observable, testable, repeatable science. Juicy. This one coming in from Raw Nakedness says, Why did God make metal hydroxides tend to appear in lots of active sites in current molecular biology? This is a prediction of the Z-World hypothesis. Free, I think this is for you. Okay. Um, the Z-World hypothesis is counterbalanced by the Cube hypothesis, which is uh, heavily weighted on the I hypothesis, which uh, nobody knows the origin of, except many speculate that it may be uh, caused by the G hypothesis. We're not really sure. Do either of you know what a Z-World hypothesis is? Okay, good. Me neither. Next up, Dustin Ellerby says, has anyone witnessed a God create complex life, Nephilim free? No, but nobody's observed evolution either. Next we, up. we can't observe the past. We can make speculations best based on the preponderance of evidence. This one from the legend Rives says, since race isn't proven by science, how does population genetics explain evolution via race this seems contradictory so well i mean what we what we socially determine as race has valid evolutionary explanations just based on where those human populations lived in the world 
And uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure I understand the question further than that. Me neither. I'm glad I'm not the only one. But this one coming in from Raw Nakedness says, you bacterial flagellum evolved from a secretion system. There are dozens of basal bodies on several species where that's all they do is secrete protein. Um, he's uninformed because uh, secular, modern secular biologists have acknowledged and they've published that it's the other, it seems to be the other way around. Uh, the, uh, instead of the flagellum uh, evolving from the secretory the type 3 secretory system it looks like the secretory system evolved from the flagellum uh, because of the molecular mm. arrangement of it so that kind of kills that idea this one from jupiter darman thanks so much has no question at this time just showing some love for one of my favorite youtube channels of all time and enjoying dr wilson's presentation so Thank you for that. And Raw Nicholas strikes again. Says HIV-1 evolved a viroporon, which is a port in the membrane. By your own admission, anatomical features have evolved under our own eyes, Nephilim-free. It didn't evolve one. It modified an existing one. That's not evolution, and it doesn't relate to the complexity of multicellular organisms or explain how we should believe that mutations and natural selection were able to create anatomical features in living things. No scientist has ever put forth scientific evidence for that. Juicy, this one coming in from, appreciate your question. We don't have, we do have some for Dr. Wilson. Church of Entropy asked Dr. Wilson, how does evolution via mutation predict punctuated equilibrium yeah so that's the interesting thing about that is uh, one of the papers i showed uh demonstrated that uh random genetic material can adopt new functions so if mutation is always happening in the background you're getting a wide variety of uh, mutations accumulated in your genome that don't yet serve a function because as we know, most mutations are neutral. Uh, but in terms, in a situation of punctuated equilibrium where there's a lot of selection pressure, that diversity of mutations within a population can give rise to uh, new traits that can uh, give some organisms in that uh, selection selective environment uh, an advantage. And so that's how random mutation can contribute to punctuated equilibrium do i get to respond we've got a thousand questions for you neff so no <laughs> the next up the crawdaddy 029 says nephilim free it's not information it's not programs we make comparisons like we compare the eye to a camera and b in addition to that we are not at the pinnacle of science hmm well, I say the neutral theory was re refuted in the 1950s by Kumura and others. But uh, uh, if you want to believe that mutations created microphones in Beethoven from rock soup, you're welcome to. Raw Nicholas strikes again, saying that's not true, Nephilim Free. The relationship between natural selection and kinetic chemistry is being elucidated. So prebiotic natural selection is a thing. 
no scientist uh, who is a researcher in uh, the origin of life has acknowledged that we have a mechanism for the formation of a cell. They have all acknowledged that it seems well beyond their grasp, and the answers are completely unknown. Uh, this person is either deluded or completely uninformed. Nephilim Free, this is your own daughter, raw nakedness you're talking about. How dare you? Oh, wait, no, the last one was the crawdaddy, your own son. The crawdaddy strikes again. He says, Neph, Spanish is derived from Latin. Do you think a Latin-speaking mother gave birth to a Spanish-speaking child? If not, I, welcome to evolution. I, I think uh, Spantonians it, it came to the earth 30 million years ago and created Plutonicus. And Plutonicus has evolved into modern Spanitard, which, which evolved into Spanish. They, let's see. Frankly, I don't. Dr. Wilson, are you able to uh, explain what they're trying to get at with this question? Because I'm, frankly, I'm like, I don't understand the analogy. Could you repeat it again? They said, Neff, Spanish is derived from Latin. Do you think a Latin-speaking mother gave birth to a Spanish-speaking child? If not, welcome to the evolutionary camp. Oh, I think this is just supposed to illustrate gradual change over time. Like Latin and Spanish are ah. two pretty different languages, and that change didn't happen. Well, I would say the evolution generation. of language doesn't demonstrate the evolution of biology. It's, it's analogous. An absurd analogy. Next up, the Cardinity 029 can't stop, can't get enough says. Oh, no, that was his last one. Next up, <laughs> Shogun Lobsters as creationists, such as Nephilim Free, are often critical of evolution and demand great evidence that they're so quick to dismiss. Yet we're supposed to take God's magic on faith alone, Nephilim Free? Isn't this hypocritical? No, of course not. Um because it's not like creationists don't provide scientific evidence. It's not uh, faith as they would dis define faith. It's, uh, it's scientific evidence. This is a, an absurd uh, sort of cherry-picking game to play, uh, you know, to say that we, we, don't, we don't ever get scientific evidence for creationists. We, we just have to believe what they say. Well, if, if you're just going to not believe anything without investigating, you know, you're welcome to your delusions and in, in, in ignorance. Nephilim Free. This one comes in from Farron Salas, who says, quote, intelligent, unquote, design. So, quote, unquote, designed. It gave <laughs> us a laryngeal nerve that detours an extreme length in humans and giraffes. An intelligent creator, I think not Nephilim free. Mm. Nobody has demonstrated that the development of a laryngeal nerve is possible in any evolutionary process. As well, it's possible that the organism adapting uh, its physiology in the length of its neck and the possible reduction of it could explain the change in its length of its, uh, its nerve. 
But that doesn't demonstrate evolution. Evolution requires us to believe that the feature itself came into being by evolution. Nobody has any scientific evidence that that's even possible for any feature of any living thing. So pointing to a change in an anatomical feature, which could only have been produced by intelligent design, and then claiming that this is the reason to believe in evolution is an example of severe delusion. You got it. And Andrew Cumming, thanks for your question for Dr. Wilson, says, what do you think is the relative importance of heterochronic, parentheses, time change, and heterotopic, in parentheses, location change, regarding changes in evolution? Time change and location change. Um... I'm sorry, I, I honestly don't uh, understand the question well enough to answer. Um, well, that makes two of us. <laughs> my bad. I, I'm a molecular biologist, not a strict evolutionary biologist, so I don't know all of the terms you might ask me about. Sorry. No problem. Oh, NOXD, thanks for your question. It says, good job, guys. And remember, the banana is the atheist nightmare, and it fits perfectly in your hand, perfectly in your mouth. Explain that, Dr. Wilson. I think you probably know who they're referring oh, to. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the, the story about the banana fitting perfectly in your hand, I think that was Ray Comfort. Um, little did he know that humans selected for the banana to kind of do just that. <laughs> Juicy. This one coming in from... <laughs> Brandon Ardeline says, if Romans 120 is true, then why are we still having these debates? Is an infinite God not capable of giving us infinite reasons to accept creationism, Nephilim free? Well, if, if God created evolution, we wouldn't exist. Because that's impossible since DNA is information, which is complexly overlapping, nested, information that uh, operates linguistically with semiotics, linguistics, uh, uh, algorithms, and is functional and interdependent. Um, that, that can't be produced by natural chemistry. Natural chemistry causes things to decay and, and bump around, but it doesn't build fantastically complex, functional, useful things and necessary things. That's what chemistry doesn't do. No chemist in the world has ever reported or known of chemistry that produces complex, functional, necessary things by natural chemistry. It, it only produces decay, according to the second law of thermodynamics. You got it, and thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Fennec Wolfox, says Shapiro actually said that self-sustaining autocatalytic chemosynthetic systems associated with amino acids predated RNA, not that it's impossible. He said that, that that's his belief system, but what Shapiro's also said is that no chemical pathway towards any biological DNA or complex system in a cell has been observed or is known by chemists. So uh, he, his belief system is what the uh, questioner is asking. Uh, Shapiro says this is what he believes. But what Shapiro writes in his papers is also that he knows of no potential 
mechanism in chemistry, in biology, for the formation of these things. And this is a, and he admits that this is a severe problem for the evolution theory. Gotcha. And thank you very much for this question. Coming in from Snake Was Right. Good to see you, old buddy. Oh, long time debater on here says, NAF modification of existing structures is evolution. Modification with descent, modification. Things don't evolve from nothing. Can you admit this? Well, if things didn't evolve from nothing, then everything would be a bacteria. This is how obviously and simply my that, that questioner has failed. I don't need to address it anymore. I could speak for an hour about that. But the simple que- uh, response is, then there could be no evolution. End of story. Gotcha. And Dr. Wilson got a question for you. Thanks so much for this one. Coming in from End Time Teacher says, for Dr. Wilson, at what point did creatures evolve from fish into large whales and other others evolved into insects without bone structures? How can creatures go from bone to having no bone? Well, insects have an exoskeleton and creatures like whales have a inside skeleton. <laughs> um, and when, when did fish evolve to whales? Well, it was a journey from the ocean to land and then land creatures went back into the ocean and there are transitional fossils for those uh, stages of evolution that have been found. Um, that process took place over millions, hundreds of millions of years. Gotcha. And this one, thank you very much for your question from Shogun Lobster says, Nephilim free. Just because you question evolution doesn't automatically make ID correct. We don't have evidence for your watchmaker outside of wild Bible interpretations. Where's your hard evidence for ID? The very existence of the DNA molecule, which is complexly organized information, which is strand hopping, forward and reverse reading, highly compressed, overlapping and nested information, which operates linguistically, possessing semiotics, algorithms, linguistics, phonetics, semantics, punctuation, syntax, grammar, and apropatics. You got it. Juicy. And this one, thanks so much for your question. Fox says, question for Nephilim Free, if there's time, hypothetically, what would be evidence that you would see as supporting evolution? What would you have to see to be convinced? The, the question is like asking, uh, what would I have to believe that, to believe that robotic space monkeys of a purple sort have invaded the Earth and we're all just in a delusion that they don't even exist, but they're here every day on the streets. That That's about how absurd I would have to believe, you know, what the absurdity I would have to believe to believe evolution. Gotcha. And looking for any last questions, want to say, folks, we really do appreciate our guests. They are linked in the description. So if you want to hear more from Dr. Wilson or from Nephilim Free, you can. And that includes if you're listening to the Modern Day Debate podcast version of this debate as we put our guest links in there as well and so folks one last thing see this debate on the bottom right of your screen folks 
It is going to be epic. You don't want to miss it. The day has finally come. Tomorrow, Matt Dillahunty returns to Modern Day Debate, taking on Christian apologist and scholar Dr. Kenny Rhodes and whether or not there is good evidence for God. You guys, I am stoked for it. It's going to be phenomenal. So you don't want to miss it, folks. Seriously, I think it's just going to be ginormous. And we are excited that this crowdfund-sponsored event, its the live showing is free to the public. So in other words, like even if you hadn't put into the crowdfund, this one is actually going to be completely live. And then it will be, of course, on the channel afterwards as well. So I will be right back with some announcements of other upcoming debates. As we've got a lot of juicy ones coming up. But want to give a final thank you to Dr. Wilson and Nephilim Free. It has been a true pleasure to have you guys tonight. Thanks a lot, James. It's awesome. My pleasure. And actually, there are just two last really quick questions. A bubblegum gun just fired this in, said there simply even hasn't been enough time for the evolutionary model to even work, Dr. Wilson. And random mutations are literally entropy. You will not get humans like that. Give you a chance to respond. So they can make comments as well as questions. So Yeah. So, I mean, evolution happens on multiple timescales. We can see mechanisms of it happening today, right now, and we can see evidence of the long-term timescales that were necessary for larger changes in things like the fossil record. Um, what was the second part of that question? They had uh, said that random oh, oh, entropy. Or entropy, you won't get humans like that. Right. No. Uh, it's not just mutation. It's mutation and natural selection. And it's, I think this entropy point is alluding to the second law of thermodynamics. And that doesn't really apply here because second law of thermodynamics uh, refers to a closed system. And the earth is not a closed system. We receive energy from the sun. So we can take that energy in to build complex things rather than just sit and break down. Is there any uh, part of the earth Neff, that doesn't decay because of the sun? Neff. I'll give you a chance to answer that, Dr. Wilson, if you want. Otherwise, I've got one question for you, Neff. Is there any part of the earth that, sorry, doesn't decay or does decay? What, what did you ask? Yeah, is there any part of the earth that doesn't decay, especially because of the sun? I mean... I think no. your question. I think your question is missing the point right, that I no, made. Right. We must move to the next one. This yeah. one from your daughter, Raw Nakedness, says: Does Nephilim deny the existence of virites? It's spelled V-I-R-E-T-E-S. I, I deny then, that which they say that, which are capable of lateral gene transfer. I deny that lateral trans uh, gene transfer. Uh, is able to uh, produce the information necessary to create the anatomical features that evolution requires. Gotcha. I, I, anyone who believes that is believing in a myth. They're not believing science. Juicy. And we do have a thumbs up, a, uh, you could say, message of gratefulness, as we do appreciate that. Thanks so much for your positivity. This one coming in from Heat Shield. Appreciate the positive vibes and the energy you bring here, my friend. Says a totally neutral thank you from me to both guests for this tonight. And they said, since I've never met Dr. Wilson before, a little extra handshake to welcome him to the party. So, again, thank you, Dr. Wilson and Nephilim Free. We'll be right back, folks. But, again, our guests are linked in the description. We really do appreciate them. 
And we'll be back in just a moment, so stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.